Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey everyone, this is BT and welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are talking about abundance. There is only abundance, which was an excellent, excellent episode. Thanks for doing that. You bet. Yeah. I really like uh, the way these episodes sort of fall in line and they always seem to help me uh, at exactly the right time because even though I've grown up in this world for the last, you know, 10 years plus with you, there are times where... Uh, lack can enter in. And I think that was sort of the foundation with which to build from this episode, because even the most abundant of people at some point in time, they have to exercise that muscle, I assume, because lack can, if it was a part of your life at one point in time, it could very easily be back if you allow it to. Would you agree with that? I think it can. Um, you know, it's, it, well, it's interesting because people are always asking me the question like, What's my process, you know? And there, here, this is the truth. I mean, this is I'm not I'm not exaggerating this in any way. I spent a lot of time teaching myself how to think differently. I think differently about yeah, totally. these things. I mean, it, I do not think, oh my god, it's not here. Oh my god, what if this goes wrong? Oh my god, what if this happens? I see it happen around me. Um, but I don't think that way. And the reason that I don't, I think I'm, I'm, I've, I have really, I'm always looking to see like, is there another answer here for me that I'm not aware of? And if there is, I'm not aware of it yet. But there is, there were these questions that I had, like we've talked about them on the show before. You know them. I had all these questions my whole life and I started getting answers. But as I started getting answers, I started changing my life. So it wasn't just, oh, here's some new intellectual knowledge. I was applying it. My life was changing like night and day. I told somebody the other day, I haven't paid a bill late in over 20 years. The reason that I haven't paid a bill late in over 20 years is because I haven't been short of money in over 20 years. Um, and I haven't been short of money in over 20 years because I understand what it takes to generate the money on a regular basis. It never, it, it's never to me like, oh, um, yeah, we're having a problem in the business. What if it, what if we don't get the money? It's always, it's there. Let's find it. Let's do what's necessary for it to happen. And it always happens, right? Haven't always hit a big goal, but we've always done whatever we need to do to fulfill our responsibilities and move the needle forward a little bit. So I'm well aware that I came from a place where I went bankrupt. My car was repossessed. I couldn't pay my bills. Uh, in the beginning, I did have trouble, like, where is it going to come from? But always pushing through with the belief that it's there. So now I, my mind is so changed around it, I have not come across anything that causes me to go, oh, wait a minute. I don't know if this is this is going to work or this is really true. I just don't think that way. Yeah, I think that's a powerful statement is that your default is abundance. And I would assume that the majority of people that listen to this podcast are searching for something yeah. and their default may be on the lack side of things. So, you know, you called it a gut instinct in the episode. You know, you're, you, the truth about abundance is you felt early on, like early on that 
abundance was the status quo for you. Can you explain how that happened to you? Because I would, a part of me wants to believe that early on for you, you know, when you were, you know, working on the dock or even maybe before then, you maybe felt that where your surroundings were, you were growing up in lack, you were struggling a little bit, that that very easily could have been your default, but you didn't believe that. Your gut was telling you there was more. What did that that feel like? Or how did you come across abundance as the the (coughs) go-to? That's a great question. So I was an overspender. I'm trying to think if there's another word I should put there, but I think that describes it well. I was spending more money than I earned, and it was getting me in, in a lot of trouble. Now, I was not spending money on really crazy things. The, what really caused part of this problem was that I created more responsibility than I had the ability to live up to. I actually needed more things in my life. I had started a family. There were things that I spent money on that I probably shouldn't have, you know, looking back. However, part of the question, if you remember this question, Part of the question was, is what we're experiencing the way we're supposed to experience it? Like, is God playing a trick on us or these desires, these aspirations that we have, are they real? Okay. So that had nothing to do with money at, at that time in my life. However, I, when I broke through, I learned something very interesting that the desires that we have are, is God or spirit or energy trying to seek expression within through you? And I thought to myself, well, actually somebody taught me this. I think it was Proctor that, that kind of led me down this road a little bit. He's like, you don't really want anything that you're not supposed to have. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. What the hell does that mean? You don't really want anything that you're not supposed to have. And when I really went into the study on it, it was like that desire's leading you to something. But you have to do the whole thing, right? So I was cutting short on being able to pay bills on time because I didn't know that skill set. I didn't know that the money was there, that I was stopping only where I couldn't see it instead of demanding that it came in and really working toward it's an absolute, like it's a higher standard of living. When I got that, those two things, then I put it to the test, right? So that was the part that it was like, I needed to know. I needed to know, is this real? I mean, like, is, can I commit to something that I have no idea how I'm going to pay for? And the, if I'm diligent in my work and, and holding that image in my mind, will that opportunity show up every time? And I found out the answer was yes. And I was like, shit, right? You got to be kidding me. It's never not happened, Right. So that belief changed the foundation of everything on how I thought. And it was like, no, there's nothing. Like, there's nothing that can show up as long as you're willing to do the work through it and keep insisting in your mind that it's here, you will become aware of the opportunity to make that connection, whatever the challenge is. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's you've, and you've talked about that before. You've talked about like spending your way to success, not yeah. restricting, but actually opening it up as long as you're willing. Because I know there's people out there that are saying, well, that's irresponsible. You know, you hear this all the time. It's irresponsible to spend this amount of money on this such a thing. But the reality is, if you're willing to do the work, like you said, mm-hmm. I'm diligent enough to keep my eye on it. I'm going to do what needs to be done. Yeah, I can go put $20,000 on a credit card, but I know that that bill's going to come due and they're going to need to be paid for that. Yep. I need to put put in the time to see it through all the way. I think a lot of times people, 
they dig their head in the sand when they get into a difficult place and they're thinking, well, I'll just hide from these creditors. I'll just uh, stay away from them as much as possible. And you can't have the benefit of what you purchase with that without actually paying for it. You need to do something. And I think this is where sometimes entitlement comes into my head or sometimes just general fears of people thinking to themselves, you know, I don't know what to do. I've, I've spent all this money and I'm not getting the result. So I think the people out there probably want to know, well, why am I not getting that result? Does that, is that where desire comes into play? Is that where sense of urgency comes into play? That's where stop saying that comes into play because you're confirming the reality that you don't want to experience. Sure. And this is where it gets metaphysical and where most people drop the ball. Right. It's like, fuck, it's, what are you talking about? I can't pay the damn bills. My, my wife or my husband's having a fit that, you know, the, the kids got to have th this, that, or, you know, like there's necessities, there's urgency here, but you're being consumed by what you don't want to experience. And then of course you're verbalizing it. Yeah. Right? The words because are powerful, right? They're creative. So, because like it, it, if you, like even if you go back to Genesis, it says first there was the word, right? So it was the creative word being spoken. Um, many religions teach from that aspect. You know, you speak into life. You, you speak into death or you speak into life. And I thought it was crazy. Like my mentor would say, will you stop saying that? He'd hang up on me if I wouldn't stop saying what I didn't want. It was like, you need to discipline your mouth. You need to point that urge in the direction of what you do want and say it with the same conviction of, of the reality you're spe speaking, but in a different direction. Okay, that's what I'll do. So I remember, T, I would get up out of my chair in my office if something was going wrong. Uh, usually it was in the form of sales, like where's new clients going to come from, right? This is early when I didn't have a whole system established to bring in, you know, business, keep, you know, sure. it was just me. And I would get up and I'd be like, it's here. The business is here. I would slam my hand. I would stomp. I would say it with all the conviction in my heart. And believe it. And completely believe it. I would not let that voice in my head control my actions. Because here's the damnedest thing with most people. Oh, nobody's saying yes. Um, I don't have the money. I don't feel good. I'm exhausted. I'm sick now. And they don't pick up the phone and make another call. They don't reach out and ask somebody for help. They go lay on the couch. They go eat. They go for a walk. They go do something to distract themselves. And then the bill comes and it's too late, you know? And I was that person prior to learning this, but I, but I disciplined myself to do it. And every single time I would break through, every time, breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. And it was always done in a way where it wasn't late. I got what I needed, but I never stopped. And that's what I learned, that you have to be diligent consistently. It doesn't matter how you feel. The universe doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're sad today. It doesn't care if your puppy died. It doesn't care what problems you're having. You have to be diligent in the direction, and it'll always be here. And that's been my experience. Yeah, and then discipline the mouth. I think that's really well put. You know, you have to really think, is it is it just if I verbalize it or even the thought of lack in my mind, even if I'm just thinking it in my head and not saying it, is that every bit as powerful as well, if that you, thought? Well, if you mix it with, with the same emotion, if it's coming from... So if you're thinking lack, it has, it has a real consequence in your life, right? Because you're thinking it, there's sure. a consequence in your life. And now you're dwelling in the fear and worry, right? Because there's a lot of people that don't express, they just shut down, but they're still holding the emotion. So they're not setting the intention. They're not telling their mind to look for the opportunity. So it, it would be the same thing there. You have to change your expectation internally. 
Yeah. And when you and that's when you start to see it. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the most important lessons that I learned from you is just really being mindful of how you talk. I'm I'm typically more a reactionary person than a proactive thinker. So you need to be diligent in how you're formulating thoughts and what you're saying. Because if you continue to, you know, I remember when we first moved into our house and all I could think of was all the things that all the money we had just laid out, we had never bought anything as expensive as this place. And lo and behold, within the first three days of being there, shit went off the rails. And I yeah. kept saying, oh, here we go. It's a big money pit. They told me never to buy a house. This is why we rent. This, we never should have become, you know, and what happened? Confirming, confirming and confirming over and over again, shit was breaking. And then finally you, and even Steph and I came to you and said, look, we need some help here. And you kind of came over and we, you know, we had a little ritual and a ceremony and we talked a little bit about it. And lo and behold, I haven't had any issues since. Yeah. It was, we were confirming I was confirming without a doubt that my insecurities around being worth this house was showing up because I'm just going to break shit. That, that just goes to show you the power and the confirmation that was be happening behind that lack. Once we shifted that to abundance, it's been smooth sailing ever since. Right. It's, it's, it's crazy how it works. It reminds me of the person who goes to the gym and you start seeing results in that first week you want to keep going to the gym. Yep. But if you don't get those results right away, people are like, oh, well, I guess maybe I'll try it again next year. The results are there, but you have to test it. And I love that you, that was a big part of your, of your growth journey. Yeah. So, well, in, in the nineties, you came across this wonderful book, the science of getting rich by Wallace Waddles, which you spotlighted in this particular episode, the chapter titled opportunity monopolized and how it relates to abundance. Uh, you gave it very high praise, more praise than I've ever heard you say about any other books. I mean, you've talked to other books as well, but saying it gave you the foundation with which to make a significant change in your life. What specifically about Waddles hooked you to the point where you wanted to do a deep dive into his work? The organization of the concept. So up until Waddles, I had bits and pieces of information and I couldn't make them fit together. Um, I had religious training. I had life itself, the beliefs of uh, my family, friends, school teachers, you know, everything that you get exposed to growing up. Um, you hear the different philosophers. I had gone down those roads that poets, you know, I'd, I'd read a lot of information. And... Uh, even with Tony Robbins, like it, that, that was where I started going to seminars. But it didn't seem like it all, I couldn't get it all to fit. It was like having this weird jigsaw puzzle on the table and you couldn't get these pieces to fit together. And for two years, I heard about the book, The Science of Getting Rich. I actually saw it at a couple events that I went to. In my head, I thought it had something to do with economics. I was like, I thought it was like the economics of your business or something. And it was like, that wasn't what I was looking for at that time in my life. Um, and then somebody mentioned to me that it was not, that's not what it was. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I get it. I mean, the book was like seven bucks. It was just a little book. I picked it up and I, I took it home. I was, I, I don't remember if I was in New York. I might've been in New York. I took it home, uh, didn't get to it for a couple of days. And I knew that I had, uh, an afternoon, like three or four hours where I was going to be alone on a Saturday. Like my wife was gone. She took the kids and I had this little window of time and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'll read the book then, you know? And I sat down on my couch in my house and I read it. And as I read it, I started to cry because all the pieces came together in my head. Like the way he formulated the book was all the things that I was studying and thinking and wondering about. And it just came all together. It was like that jigsaw puzzle just morphed right in front of me. And I'm like, this is what I believe. 
Wow. To be moved I, I to believe tears. this is true. I was in tears. That's insane. I was in tears. At that time in my life, I felt so called that I was, I felt that I was being so called in a direction, constantly getting signs, things coming together, things that were not supposed to happen, meeting people. Like, and I, I mean, I went from nothing to this overnight. It was just blowing my mind. I really felt like I'm onto something. God's talking to me. I'm, you know, somebody, somebody, some entity, something is trying to get my attention to go in this, in this direction. And I was following it out of faith, but I was having a hard time consciously choosing things because I was also a little afraid. Like, what if I get this wrong? What if this is, what if this is not right? Some of my thinking, even though well, I guess, well, for the average person, it seems way out there, but it doesn't to me anymore. It was so way out there that I wondered if I was losing it. You know, I mean, I've said this before. There were times where I'm like, am I losing it? Like, if I gone off the deep end here in, in believing this stuff, is this, you know, this doesn't seem, and where that really started to come in was when my mentor started suggesting that I start spending differently. And it's like, I don't have any extra money to do. That seems like the most fucking irresponsible thing that I could possibly do. And he was trying to get this idea in my head and also create the urgency um, to move in that direction. And so I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, am I being hoodwinked here? Is this nuts? But when I read The Science of Getting Rich, I, it was like I went from this little disjointed picture to a, to a grand picture. All of a sudden, I started to understand everything that I was reading. Everything started falling into place. Oh, this is why this is. This is why this is. Now I understand what they were saying here. All these books, all these seminars that I went to started falling into place. Yeah, it clicked. It clicked. Yeah. It just clicked. It was there. It and was like all there that Saturday That's not afternoon. mutually exclusive to you. I mean, every single person who's listening to this has that ability inside of them mm. to find whatever they're guided by to get that sort of, you hear them call it downloads or whatever metaphysical word comes to mind. But every person has that ability within them to be able to see something uh, through whatever guidance they're being given and to not blow it off as, oh, I just got lucky or, oh, that, that, that stuff doesn't happen to me. The truth is, is you had a moment, it hit you like a ton of bricks, you put the pieces together and we've all been the benefactors of that ever since. And you've been the benefactor of that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's very just, much. It's just so interesting to me that, you know, when you said that this book was really formed the foundation and put everything together, that's high praise, man. I mean, that's, that's insane. Um, you talked about poverty as a mindset and you talked lack as a mindset. So we're going to shift a little bit. This can be a controversial subject to broach here, but I'm going to try and do it the best of my abilities. Since during this period in our country's history, we see people struggling mightily. We see people losing their jobs, losing their way of life. We see tent cities popping up in major urban areas, uh, people living on the streets because they can't pay their mortgage. Can you help us make sense of all of that um, as it pertains to the two-sided coin of poverty, lack, and abundance, great wealth, um, how it pertains to our current situation, because I know there's people out there who probably think um, this is not, there, there is no abundance in my life. I'm living on the street. I lost my job. How do we make sense of that and realize that abundance is the other side of that? Yeah, so when, when all this started to happen, you know, with the virus and all that crap, um, I kind of took a step back. And I was looking at what's actually going on here. And when I did that, and I started to see, because my, my, my first assumption was that, like, this is not going to be good for human beings. Like, the people are so 
number one, they're so ignorant to how everything works. And now you're going to shake up the world in which they think works in a certain way. It's going to be a problem. And then, of course, it's proving to be a problem. So the foundation of it is where do you think so most people are security-minded, right? So everything is based in security, what they're doing. Where do we think our security comes from? And then where do we think our supply comes from? Most people believe it comes from other people and different entities that are created in society. It doesn't. It comes through them. It comes from the universe or it comes from God. If we understand that, then we understand the principles and the science of getting rich and why it's so important to stay in our mind the right way because the channels of distribution have changed not the source, okay? And that's, if you know that, if you understand that, and you focus on gratitude, if you focus on your intention, if you focus on all the principles that are in that book and the principles that we teach, you will become aware of different channels of distribution. It'll just shift, right? So there's no reason to be afraid or worried or doubtful or scared. If you believe in those principles, you will see that all it does is shift. But most people have no clue. They, I mean, it, that's so far from their mind. And then when you're in fear to try to tell somebody that who's in fear, I mean, it's just, it doesn't go well, right? Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it sounds like hocus pocus, right? Sure. But it's not. It's the embodiment of um, everything that we've learned from, you know, First Nations tribes all over the world, religion all over the world. It's all steeped in this knowledge. That's all, that's all it is. I mean, it's expressed in different ways, but if you really study it, it all says the same thing. And the idea is that our source of supply comes from God or the universe, and it comes through human beings and things. So your attention, your gratitude, your intention has to be toward the universe, toward God, toward that, that energy. It's that creative energy. And then your mind will automatically look for where is it now? It just moved, right? So maybe this business no longer can do this. Maybe you can't go here to get that. But as we see, the intentions of people that refuse to be held down, have where people are creating new jobs, new businesses, new ways of delivery, all kinds of stuff is happening. Yeah, we've seen a lot of pivots happen and, and thriving pivots. Right. Like people are really embracing this. They realize it's not, this is not a short-term situation. This could go on for a year plus. So people are really, instead of, well, the ones who are complaining about it and struggling with it are the ones who are really down on their luck and yeah. falling down. Yeah. The people that said, hey, this is the situation. I'm not going to overthink. I'm not going to over panic. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do a little something different. Factories have had to retool to make face shields now. You've got people who are who are doing really good things on certain social platforms or transitioning to more or like you, big time, you know, large events, yeah. in-person events. We can't do that anymore. Right. But you've pivoted and your business is thriving even in this. And, you know, that's right. one of the things that's great about your business is it has proven multiple times, even since I've been here, that it's recession proof. Like, you know what to do to give people what they need. And this isn't hocus pocus. This is actual bona fide things that work for you. They work for everyone as long as they're willing to embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. The other problem that we have is that the human mind needs something to work on or work against. And without any consciousness, we'll immediately pick up something that's not good. So we're seeing a lot of problems that pop up. Um, some are problems, some are not problems. They're disguised as problems. But when a human, when a human being does not feel, or when they feel that they're out of control and they don't know what to fix, they'll create a problem 
in order to try to solve what's actually going on. And we've always, I mean, psychology has pointed that out forever. Now we're seeing it in mass and we're seeing it in ways that's not good for us. So I still believe that it's going to change. Like it is all, this is all going to change. Um, it's going to change for the better. We're going to learn a tremendous amount from what happened. Uh, and we're going to move on, you know, we're going to go on. But the, the thing is, is that another thing that I think is exacerbating what's going on right now is that the younger generations don't know our history or have forgotten it. Um, and also, my understanding is, I don't go to university, but I know many professors, and I've heard many professors talk about this, that it's twisted. You know, the history that's being taught in university is not necessarily how it was. It's somebody else's agenda, which is very dangerous. Yeah, that is dangerous. Because we have so much rich history, both good and bad, to learn from, to be an example of what not to do in in, in our world, that, um, you know, it could save us a lot of pain. And if you want to ignore it, um, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah. Well, and you said it earlier on in this discussion we're having about the word, how, how powerful the word is, you yeah. know, when people are starting to change the history and, you know, take, take things out of the history and the forefathers are being attacked because they may have been slave owners and all these other sorts of things and wanting to write it down and going even into the today with talking about, you know, the, the entire policing system is broken, defund it, take these things away. I mean, it's, it's intense. Well, if you think about the intensity in which the negative is being exemplified, what, it's like what Emerson said, whatever you focus on grows. And what do we see happening? It's growing. It's not getting better. It's growing. Um, you can't, what, you know, it's energy. You focus on the negative instead of a solution. Uh, you're going to grow it. You're going to create more of it, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's, I mean, the, we will get through that. I think we're going to look back on this maybe five, ten years from now, and the history history will record itself a certain way. But it will be an opportunity for us to learn from our mistakes and to grow and to hopefully not make those same mistakes again. But if we do, we'll continue to work to change it because we're smart enough people to bring that back. And I just hope that, I hope some kindness comes out of this. I hope there comes a time in my lifetime where we can agree to disagree as opposed to ripping you down for having your opinions or your viewpoints. I was listening to a gentleman talk on a podcast just today about, you know, you used to be able to go to the polls and vote for a president. And then at the end, the next day you were just like, okay, well, the guy I voted for didn't win, but let's move on. Now it's, if your person doesn't win because you're on that team, then you want to fight and prove the other person wrong. And, oh, we're going to see how this works out. I don't know what's going to happen. And I hate to think that this is all around an election year, but I don't think it's lost on me that it is an election year that all this crazy shit's going on. Um, not to get into conspiracy theories or anything, but the reality I'm seeing in all this is that I just want more kindness in the world. I don't think we're kind. I don't think we're patient. And I know that shit sucks and a lot of people are struggling right now, but there's ways to go about doing this without oppressing others. And I think yeah. what I liked about in the episode, and we'll kind of finish with this, you talked about asking the deeper question. And I love that concept because it's a great way to make sense of what's happening, not only in my life, but just in the country or in the world as a whole. It, it, it shifts responsibility when I ask a question of myself and it allows me to be more proactive in my thinking rather than reactive. And 
damn, do we need a lot more of that in this world right now. I think we're way too reactive. It's a powder keg of emotion. We need to think about things that we're doing. Can you offer up any sort of tangible advice on how a person can arrive to their own personal deeper question when they're going through so much turmoil? First thing I do is change their values. I heard something the other day that I thought was genius. I was surprised that I heard it where I heard it. Um, I was watching the documentary Always at the Carlisle. Have you seen it? I have not. No, okay, what is good. that about? It's good. So about the Carlisle Hotel okay. in New York. Um, I've, I've been there a couple times. And uh, it's an amazing hotel. It has a rich history. And uh, they're known for, you know, their five-star service. And, you know, it, there's a lot of stars in this Um you know, royalty stayed there, you know, presidents have stayed there, all kinds of people have stayed there. And they stay there because of how they're treated there. Um, there's a gentleman, and, and I wasn't prepared for this, so I don't recall his name. He was, uh, he was somebody who worked at the Carlisle, um, and he was retiring, and they're doing this documentary, and he was talking about how wonderful the history was there and all this different stuff. And they said, then why are you retiring? Like, why now are you retiring? And he said, um, I've decided that I don't want to participate in humanity in this position here anymore. And he went into it a little bit. He said that he felt that human beings had lost their dignity. And he went on to explain why. And I had to agree with what he said. Um, the, the human beings are losing their dignity. It is as if there is nothing to stand for anymore in our personal self, um, in our personal lives. It, it, we almost make a mockery of some of the great traditions that we've had that actually help people live to a higher standard, you know, from if, whether, it, I mean, there so he pointed out like they were showing these clips of like people at sports games in the 30s and the 40s and they were dressed and they had ties on and hats and you know like he went into this whole diatribe around it and it's it's a it's a difficult argument to make because he, there's a excuse me there's a lot of truth to what he was saying sure. and after i watched it i thought to myself you know people really have lost their dignity you know you see people the, we just tear down and make fun of anything that's decent today. And we're doing that huge right now, just huge. Um, so it makes you think like, if I don't have any dignity, what am I going to do? I'm going to tear everything down around to my level because that's what human consciousness does. There's nothing to hold it up. And that, like you pointed it out with, with, the, with the internet, people are ripping people down instead of building them up. Where yeah. do we think that's going to go? So I think to answer your Dang question, you. we need we need something to lift our values again. I don't know how that happens. I I'm not going to. I've thought a lot about it. I don't know because it's not just a little bit. It's it's global society. Like we're seeing this all over, and and I don't know what it means or the direction that it's going. Um, my belief is that something is going to happen to reverse this trend. Like we're going to, we're going to, we have to have some kind of a spiritual awakening in the world and people start to live to a different standard of life. Yeah. I, I like that dignity for sure. Well, that was a, uh, 
an excellent insight. I loved talking about this. This really gives me some things. I'm going to check out always at the Carlisle. I always get a little uh, tidbit from you in that, and that should be really interesting to see because I'd love to, I'd love to know that we're in a we're going to get to a dignified place where we can behave as human beings and we can respect one another's opinions. I think so. And you know we can we can live that abundant life because it's available to everybody. I think so. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, thanks for coming inside. David. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.